in, but hopefully God just highlighted at least one thing for you today. All right, open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. We are back in our series through the book of Exodus. We're going to finish Dargonet by the end of the year. Pastor Jeff, can you take us over to, thank, thank you so much, our sermon slides. If you're following along in your Bibles, get ready to highlight some things and take some notes. If you're watching online, there's a Bible app on our website there. You can click on it uh, or you can follow along on the screen. Where we're at in the book of Exodus is that the Israelites, after being rescued from Egypt, they have come to Mount Sinai and God has given them the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are kind of like the Constitution, if you will. It's a foundation of who they are now that they've been freed. What does it look like to live as freed people? We covered the Ten commandments back in July. Now we're going to jump into some specific laws and commands, chapters 21, 22, 23, and 24. Uh, and these, all these laws and commands are like, kind of like state and federal laws that flow out of the Constitution, right? Like, like New Jersey on paper is not supposed to make a law that contradicts the Constitution. You go to court for that, right? And you, you know, is this unconstitutional or not? Uh, and so these commands and laws that God has given the people of Israel are like, what does it mean? It, it, you know, they kind of flow out of the Ten Commandments. It's like, how do you follow the Ten Commandments in everyday life on a practical level? So that's what these commands are that we're going to be diving into. Um, and, and, and it's still, the, eff, the essence of it is, this is what it means to live as my freed people. I've freed you, I've rescued you from Egypt, I've called you to myself, and now I want you to live different than the rest of the world. So we're going to get into these laws over the next few weeks. But there's some problems here. And I want to mention three problems that all of us are going to have. Okay, the first problem is, getting ready, take some notes. Three problems we have. First one is that some of them are strange and feel very irrelevant. You ever get into those sections of the Bible and you're just like, what? Let me give a few examples. Exodus 21.35 says, if anyone's bull injures someone else's bull and it dies, the two parties are to sell the live one and divide both the money and the dead animal equally. Like, wait, what? Sean and Joanne Burney, as far as I know, are the only ones who own a farm and have some live animals that they own. But they don't even live next to anybody else who ha owns live animals. So this, I don't even this applies to them. So this is a kind of thing where you're tempted to go, this doesn't apply to me, moving on, moving on. Here's another example. If anyone uncovers a pit or digs one and fails to cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, that ever happened to any of you guys? <laughs> the one who opened the pit must pay the owner for the loss and take the dead animal in exchange. Now, I don't know if any of you guys dig pits anymore, but you probably don't dig pits that are deep enough for an animal, like a donkey, to fall into and die. That's a deep pit. Donkey falls in, like, you know, I dig holes at the beach, but they ain't that deep. So these are the types of laws that we're like, eh, they don't apply, it's irrelevant, it's outdated, let's move on, let's skip this section of Exodus, let's jump to the end, let's jump to that whole part about the golden calf. That's one problem we have. Here's another problem. Some of the laws seem extreme, severe, and harsh. Some of the laws that we see in the Old Testament seem like God is unjust because it, it, it violates our 2021 modern sensibilities, our sense of justice, don't they? Right? You ever read those parts? We're like, wait, really? Let me give you a few examples of that. Exodus 21:17 says, whoever curses her father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoa! 
Like you would, you would expect God to say, don't curse your father or mother or you get a timeout. Right? Like you can't even say spanking anymore because that's deemed unjust. Like you can time out for, for five minutes. Longer than five minutes is child abuse these days, right? Just time, give them a timeout. Put to death? That's like extreme. Here's, here's another one. Another couple. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal, I don't have to explain what lies with an animal, right? You guys, you guys can read between the lines here. Whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Again, we might think, okay, whoever does that, they need counseling. They need a psychiatrist. They need medication. But they don't need to be put to death. What is that about? So these are the types of things that if you're not a Christian here, and we hope there's people who aren't Christians always attending our services, watching online, but these are the types of things that give you more reason not to be a Christian. Right? You're like, mm, see, no, or at least not to trust God's word. And if you are a Christian, these are the types of things that if they don't offend you, at least you're embarrassed. Because you're like, I can't defend that. When my non-Christian friend comes up to me and is like, see, look at these things. See, see, do you, do you apply these? And you're like, no, well, not exactly. And then you go, oh, so you pick and choose what you want to follow and not follow. So how is it God's word? Right? You've seen the argument. You've experienced it. You can't defend it. You're embarrassed about it. You're a little shamed about these parts. So what do we do with it? That's the second problem. And the third problem is that the Bible talks about, if you're a Christian, then you understand that the Bible talks about how we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, not by obeying God's commands, not all these nitty-gritty practical things in the Old Testament. So then it, it leaves us wondering, what's the point of, I, I, anyway? What's the point of that? Because like, now I'm saved through Jesus. I trust in Jesus. I don't need these commands. I don't need to pay attention to that. Let's, let's move on. Three problems, right? Can, it, make sense? Anybody have those problems? Experience? Yeah, okay. Now, long introduction today. I got three responses to those three problems. Not meant to tidy it all up into a neat little bow, but at least three responses to help preface this a little bit before we dive in. Okay, number one. All of these laws are still relevant to us today in principle, but with different application. Because God's priorities, values, character doesn't change, because his kingdom doesn't change, then the principles that he's laid out in Scripture never change. They always apply. It, it, it's just that they apply differently from context to context. And, and, and our job is to do the prayerful, thoughtful work of understanding how a command at one time still applies to us in another time. Sometimes it's easier than other times. For example, here's an example of a command from the New Testament that Jesus gives that is easier for us to understand how to apply today. You ever hear uh, about the go the extra mile? You ever hear that? Kind of a catch little phrase, go the extra mile. Well, that comes from Jesus' command that if somebody compels you to carry their load one mile, you are to carry it two miles. That had a very specific application in the first century. In the first century, a Roman soldier had the right under law to compel a Jewish person who was their subject to carry their load a mile. They couldn't go beyond a mile, but they could compel them by law to carry it one mile. And Jesus is saying, hey, instead of being bitter, instead of whining about things not being fair, instead of trying to take revenge, you know what? Show that you trust in me. Show that you're so free from the need for things to be fair by going an extra mile. Go the extra mile. Now, th that doesn't apply to us in the same way anymore. Right? We, we're not compelled by law enforcement officials and government officials to carry their physical belongings. At least not yet, anyway, right? We're not, we're not compelled. So, so how, does it apply? Of course it still applies. The principle still applies. You can understand that pretty easily. Teenagers, if your parent tells you you've got to take out the garbage once a week, you might say, I'm going to do it twice a week. I'm going to go the extra mile. Right? There's an example of how you 
go the extra mile. If, if uh, married people, if your spouse, uh, you know, if, if you feel like your spouse is not carrying their 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 load, their share at a particular time, and you start to grumble about things not being fair, and you might be tempted to not do your you know chores around the house. You know what? Jesus would be would say, no, go the extra mile. Do the dishes, and then offer to clean their closet. Go the extra mile. Fight against that feeling that things aren't fair kind of thing. So we can envision that. The Old Testament laws just require a bit more thought and prayer. So that's what we're going to see. Here's another illustration. My kids have responsibilities around the house. We're trying to teach them to be responsible. So when we have pets and they are alive, uh, they have certain responsibilities. They pass away in our house very early for some reason. But when they're alive, our kids have to share in the responsibility of taking care of the pets. So when we had a bearded dragon, uh, they had to uh, help feed, keep track of the crickets, let us know when we had to go get new crickets to feed the the dragon, uh, clean the tank, and and give the dragon uh, a bath every now and then. He died at the end of the summer, right around the same time we got a new puppy, a lab. Now, are they required to clean the puppy's tank? No, he doesn't have a tank. The puppy doesn't have a tank. The puppy has other things that go along with, with caring for the puppy. They, they have to feed her, yes. They also have to sweep more because now the puppy can get the crumbs on the floor and we have to keep her from that. They have to look for the poop out in the backyard, uh, vacuum. They have to take turns vacuuming now. So the, response, the, the specific responsibilities have changed, but the overall principle of take care of the pet hasn't changed. Make sense? So it's kind of the same idea here. There's a way that the Old Testament or, or the, the Ten Commandments applied to the people here that still apply to us now. We just have to do the work of understanding how to cross that bridge. Lastly, number, th- oh, I'm sorry, second, not lastly, second, second response. God was bringing an elevated standard of justice and equality within a very broken culture. So when laws appear severe, harsh, when, when it seems like God is, whoa, he's, he's a little, you know, severe in the Old Testament, uh, we've got to understand that God was bringing an elevated standard of justice within a broken culture. He wasn't legislating out the brokenness of the culture, uh, and, 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 and he wasn't trying to uh, even out every form of inequality, but what he was doing within the brokenness was elevating standards of justice and dignity. And we're going we're gonna to look about uh, at, uh, laws about slavery and death penalty and, and, and women, and, and, and some of that's going to bother us. But what God was saying was, I want you to be different than the rest of the nations around you. Even within some of these systems, I want you to look different than the rest of the nations around you. And if we understand that, we're going to see that, wow, God was actually starting a trajectory that would lead to more and more freedom. Because the other nations around them, they, they participate in things like child sacrifice. And God was saying, I don't even want you to come close to becoming like them. And so that's why there's some severe consequences for that. And he still calls his people, regardless of the culture that we live in, to be different. So, for example, we might not like that there's some form of slavery in in this time. uh, 
But 100 years from now, there might be people in some college classroom looking back at us and going, I can't believe those people made each other work 40 hours a week and do overtime, and police officers had to work double shifts sometimes. How unjust, how crazy is that? Right? But this is, a, this is a time and place that we're living in, and God's just calling us to, to, to be faithful, to be more just than the rest of the world as his people. Does that make sense? A little bit? Hopefully it will as we, as we go on. Uh, and, then, and then lastly, lastly, uh, number three, the severity that we see in some of these laws actually point to the grace of God revealed in Jesus. So when we think it has nothing to do with Jesus, our faith in Jesus, so we don't have to deal with these commands. No, these commands, especially the ones that showcase the severity of God, actually will point us to and help us marvel at the grace of God that is revealed in Christ. And we'll get to that later on as we receive communion together. Okay? So those are my three responses. Uh, Here's the bottom line. We're still called to be a people of justice who represent the kingdom of our perfectly just king to a broken and unjust world. We're still stuck in a broken and unjust world. But we're to be different. We're to be different. We're to be different. So Lord, a lot of praying today. But Lord, help us to, uh, in our remaining time in, in, in this section of Exodus, to understand how these weird, strange, sometimes severe and harsh laws Uh, not only apply to us, but actually apply to us in a way uh, that help us marvel at your grace and help us live as your people of justice in this world. Help us, Lord. Help us. And give us all ears to hear and understand and hearts to be illuminated by your spirit. In your name. Amen. All right, so we're just going to kind of walk through these three chapters. We're not going to cover every verse. Um, We're just going to kind of do a uh, survey, if you will. So we're going to start with laws on slavery. Let's look at Exodus 21, verse 2. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. If he comes alone, he's to go free alone. But if he has a wife, when he comes, she is to go with him. So uh, other versions of this may say slave, some say servant, some say worker. Uh, this is not what we think about when we think of slavery at this time. Uh, don't think of the transatlantic slave trade that our nation was guilty of and other nations of the world was guilty of, where we came and took people, kidnapped them, took them, ripped them away from their family. They were treated as property for the rest of their lives. They could be beaten, they could be killed, and there would be no consequences, no justice for that, separated from their family. Uh, this is very racially driven. This was not that. Um, uh, I'm not saying God was condoning slavery outright, you know, and, but, but this was not that. It was not racially motivated, not ethnically motivated. It was motivated mostly by credit or war. That's how you became a slave. Sometimes uh, you owed somebody, and that's how you worked off the debt. Uh, sometimes you'd sell yourself into uh, servitude, like an indentured servitude, because you were poor, and this would actually allow you to have room and board uh, more so than you would on your own. Um, so this was kind of what it looked like. And God, even still, God was saying, I want, you to, I want it to look different for you than the rest of the world. I want you to stand out. Indentured servitude within Israel, I want it to look different. I've freed you from Egypt. I've rescued you. And so when you guys become slaves to or servants of each other, 
in many ways, it, it, you could think of it like the military today, or, or even live in nannies. It was, it was probably closer to that than it was to the uh, slavery of the transatlantic slave trade. Um, I, again, still, there's, still, there's still room for, to be abused, absolutely. And that's why God was saying, uh, you've got to be different than the, the, the nations around you. And there's two ways that God was calling them to be different. Number one was, you're freed after six years. You work for six years, seventh year, you go free. You're not property for the rest of your life. This, this, is, this is how it's going to be for my people. You, 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 somebody else doesn't own you for life. You, you work off what you work off in six years, and then you go free. That's one way. And then secondly, if you come in with a family, you're leaving with your family. You're not being separated. This would be music to the ears of, of people who were uh, poor and, and were servants. This would be music to their ears. They're like, oh, my goodness, really? I'm not going to be treated like I was in Egypt? I'm going to be freed after six years. I'm going, to, I'm going to get my family. I'm not going to be separated from my This was music to their ears. This was a blessing. This was a relief. This was good news to them. And God was saying they have value. They may be lower on the socioeconomic ladder, but they have value, and you better treat each other with the same dignity and value that I've treated you by rescuing you out of Egypt. These laws would be music to their ears. In fact, God was so against the kind of slavery where people were treated as less than human that he said this a few verses later in verse 16. Anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. Now, you might think that's severe that they're being put to death for kidnapping, but what God was saying is you are not to treat each other with less dignity than I've treated you. And if you do... There's going to be some severe consequences. This was God putting value on a human life in a way that they didn't have value when they were in Egypt and in a way that the nations around were not. The nations around them, they were kidnapping, selling, treated as property, and God was saying, you are not to do that. These lives have value. These lives have value. So much so that there are some severe consequences if you try to treat them as property. Yes, they can work as indentured servants. Yes, they can uh, uh, work as sort of like living nannies. Uh, live nannies. They can be contracted for six years, but they have rights, they have choice, they have freedom that you cannot take away. Uh, Esau McCauley is an African-American New Testament scholar who, who wrote a book. He, he's an author of a book called uh, Reading While Black. And um, he, 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 one of the chapters, he talks about the slave question, you know, the slave argument. Like, oh, see, is God condoning slavery? Is God okay with slavery? And he was saying, no, 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 no. And there's multiple reasons why uh, God is not. Um, and, and one of them, he, he, he makes the argument that God was sh wanting Israel as a whole to be a, a, a light to the nations, the nations to look at Israel and go, wow, there's something different about them. I want to order our society the way Israel is ordered so that we can live the fulfilled, blessed life that they seem to be living. That, that was God's intention. And so by having Israel free their slaves after six years on the seventh year, if other nations started to follow suit, what would happen throughout the world? An ever-decreasing, this trajectory of ever-decreasing slavery throughout the world because Israel was meant to be a light to the nations. They would see God's people being blessed, and it would just be ever decreasing. Also, Esau Macaulay points out something else. Look at Exodus 21, verse 20. Anyone who beats their male or female slave with a rod must be punished if the slave dies as a direct result. 
Again, sounds severe, but what God was doing was saying, slaves, servants, whatever you call them, they are still of so much value to me that if you beat them and they die, you die. You die. This was radically different than the other nations around them where a slave or a servant could be beaten and no consequences, no justice. And God was saying, no, 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 not with my people. You, you don't get to treat them as property, beat them, kill them, bury them, and move on. No, no, you, you lose your life if that happens. Uh, punished, punish, by the way, Esau Macaulay points out that that word is translated kill in other places. Capital punishment for a master, for a master to kill their slave and then get justice for it by being killed themselves. That's radically different than the nations around them. Radically different. God was elevating the value of human life. That's what he's trying to do here. And I'm not making the case for capital punishment. That's, 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 that's not the principle here, I, I don't believe. The principle here is God, in this context, under this theocracy where God was king, there was no human government, what I, what I believe God was doing was saying, they have value. They might be poor, but they have value. You better treat them as humans, not as property. It would kind of be like, similar to... Um, the first time, I, and I tried to look up the first case, I couldn't find it, but the first time a white person in our nation's history would be executed for killing a black person. If you were there, you might be against capital punishment in theory, but there would have to be a part of you that would at least be relieved, at least be thankful, that finally the life of a black person gets the same value as the life of a white person. You know what I mean? So that's what God's doing. The life of these poor servants who are treated as property everywhere else not here, not here, not here. You die too if you treat them like that. Another group that God lifted up, in addition to the poor, in addition to the poor, was the unborn. Look at this one. Exodus 21, 22. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. Okay, that's first. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Whoa, God's being specific here, but what's he doing? What's he doing? Does it sound severe? Absolutely. But what's he doing? He's elevating the life, the dignity of the unborn. That's what he's doing. You may not be able to see them. You may not be able to touch them, but they have dignity. They have worth. They have value. And so if you hurt a pregnant woman to the point where the baby dies or, or they're born and there's a deformity, there's going to be a correlation with what you're going to suffer as the guilty party. That's what God's doing here. An unborn child has life. We are to be a people who fight for justice for the unborn. That's what God's saying. That's what God's saying. This is why we're doing that, that, the, the fundraiser for the Open Door Pregnancy Center. They're, they're a pregnancy center who, 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 who provide ultrasounds, number one, so that women can see, oh, wow, they, they're, they're alive. There's a baby there. There's a real life there. They can, they can choose. Like, they're more likely to choose to keep the baby if they see an ultrasound. But in addition to that, it, it, the Pregnancy Center cares for the women, cares for the men, helps them with parenting classes, provides material assistance. Some of you have sponsored uh, women and, and couples through them. You've provided food. You've provided uh, money to help care for them so that it's not just let me give birth and then we forget about them. We continue to care for them and provide for them. And you guys have been a part of that. And this is why we're doing this, uh, supporting the, the fundraiser coming up in a few weeks. So even if you can't go, you can give money to it. You can help keep the pregnancy center running and reaching more and more people. 
because the unborn babies have dignity, they have value, they matter. Preacher Vody Bachman pointed out that Jesus could have come at any stage of human development. He could have entered a toddler, but he came as an unborn child in a womb. Right? That's when it started. That's when it started. That's when the life and the dignity started. That's when it still starts. Then there's laws about fairness between us within a society, dealing with each other. Let's look at a few of these. If anyone covers a pit or digs one and fails to cover it, we looked at this earlier, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the one who opened the pit must pay the owner for the loss and take the dead animal in exchange. So what's the principle behind it? We may not have this same application. We may not deal with the same situation. But what's the principle behind this? You break it, you buy it. You break it, you buy it. That's, that's the principle. If you bump, your, your park, you know, you're, you're in a parking lot, you back up your car, and you hit somebody else's parked car, and nobody sees... You don't just take off. If you belong to the God's kingdom, no. What do you do? You leave a note. You have some integrity. You have some honesty. You leave a note with a little arrow pointing to the scratch. I did this. Call me if you want to fix it. You know how many notes I've left in my day? Many. Many notes. Even when I was broke, 18, 19 years old, and the scratch was so small that they would never see it. I couldn't, belonging to God, I couldn't in good conscience just take off. I had to leave a note with an arrow. Hey, I scratched your car. If you want to call me, I'll take care of it. Give me a holler. And then I would pray, don't let them call. Please don't let them call. I have no money. But if they called, I had to trust that God would provide for me because he's my dad. He's going to help me pay. He's going to help me do the right thing if he's calling me to do the right thing, right? That's the deal here. You break something, you, you, you don't cheat your taxes. Because you think they're, no, you, you do what you, you're, you're responsible for. That's a form of justice and fairness and living with integrity. Uh, moving into chapter 22, we see laws that elevate women. Look at Exodus 22, verse 16. If a man seduces a virgin who is not pledged to be married and sleeps with her, he must pay the bride price and she shall be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he must still pay the bride price for virgins. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Some of you are thinking, wait a second, dads get to decide. I know, I know, this was the culture, this was the culture. Remember what we said earlier, God was elevating the standard, elevating the standard and dignity of, of, of people who didn't normally get dignity within broken culture. And so yeah, fathers had authority in that sense. But what God was doing, the principle here is that God was saying, you better treat women with higher dignity than the rest of the nations around you. So if you sleep with her, you don't just move on. You don't just use women, abuse women, and move on. You pay the bride price for her. You marry her. You put a ring on it, right? Song goes. Put some value. You don't just sleep with women and then move on. You don't objectify them and move on. And further, if the father says, no, you're a schmuck, you can't have her hand in marriage, you still pay the bride price. Because in that time, she would be less likely to, be a, uh, to have a harder time finding a, a, a husband if, if somebody had already used her in that sense. Unfair, broken culture, yes, but God was raising the bar, saying you treat women with more dignity than the other nations around you are doing. And we're to continue to do this. This is why we support organizations like Destiny Rescue, which I read a testimony from earlier, who are trying to uh, rescue women and girls out of the sex slave industry who are being used, who are being abused, who are being uh, um, uh, taken advantage of. We see this in, in many different forms in our society, and we're to be a people who stand up when we see that happening. Stand up for see that happening. And I think especially for the men are to stand up. We don't, they don't cover for each other. 
right? Now they stand up when they see that happening. Then we see God talk about a few other vulnerable groups. He says, don't mistreat or oppress a foreigner. Why? Because you were foreigners in Egypt. You were foreigners in Egypt. You know what it's like. I rescued you. Don't, don't mistreat a foreigner. Don't mistreat a sojourner, a, a stranger. Verse 22, the next one. Don't take advantage of the widow or the fatherlessness. So the foreigner, the widow, the follow, fatherless, these were all particularly extra vulnerable groups. Extra vulnerable, and God was saying, you don't mistreat them, you don't take advantage of them, you don't hire them and pay them cheap, dirt pennies. No, 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 no. You treat them differently than the rest of the nations would treat foreigners and widows and fatherless. If you do, if you do, if you take advantage of them and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Whoa. Yeah. Right? Your wives will become widows and your children father. That's severe. But what's God saying? It's like me saying, if you touch my daughter, I will find new creative ways to kill a human body. Right? Does this sound offensive to some of you? Absolutely, but you get the point behind it. I care. I love my daughters. You don't touch them. And that's what God's saying. You mess with these vulnerable groups who I care about, who I'm protecting. If you don't show that same heart towards them, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be trouble. That's the principle behind it. And so what's God calling us to do? To still care for the foreigner. To still care for women, uh, widows who, who don't have the same kind of security that they should have. For orphans, for kids coming from broken homes. You know, the kids coming from broken homes are more likely to be tricked and put into the human trafficking industry if they're coming from a broken home around the world. That's one of the biggest risk factors. We're to stand up for them. We're to come alongside them. We're to care. We're to make sacrifices for them. We have an opportunity right now, speaking of the foreigner, with Afghanistan refugees among us. And we're praying as a church. God, we're collecting money. You can still give uh, to a specific fund. And we're praying about how do we do this, Lord? How do we do this? How do we sponsor families? How do we walk alongside them? I'm going to be part of a meeting for clergy in a few weeks that talks about how churches can do this. And be praying. Be praying so that we can be ready, prepared, positioned. We can want to have more money. Nothing wrong with that. We can want them to have more money. We can want to help them have more money. But not to the point where we're breaking laws and lying and cheating that make sense? You don't, you don't show favoritism to anybody. You do. You have integrity no matter what. You, you don't show favoritism to the poor or the rich. You're a, the people of integrity, people of honesty. Tell the truth. Here's one more that deals with uh, integrity between us as individuals and neighbors. If you come across your enemy's ox, this is Exodus um, Verse 4 to 5 of chapter 21. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you, okay, so it's like an enemy, fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. Now, this is interesting. This is interesting. Because, again, it's hard to understand how does this principle apply to us today. But what, basically, it's love your enemy. That's what it is. Love your enemy. That's the principle behind it. Somebody who's against you, somebody who has it out for you, somebody who's angry at you, maybe a friend who you had a fallen out with, maybe, some, maybe they said some really offensive things about you, about your family, you're, you're hurt, you're grieved, and then a few weeks later you find out that they're having trouble paying their rent or paying their mortgage. And instead of thinking, oh, karma, what goes around comes around, you go, man, I, I have some extra dough. I'm going to help them. I'm going to write them a check, or I'm going, to, I'm going to drop off cash at their house anonymously. That's kind of what the principle here is. Instead of saying, oh, see, they deserve it. 
you deserve it. Right? And walk, walking past, you, you, you use what you can to bless even somebody who's an enemy. That's what Jesus said later on in the New Testament. Love your enemy on a practical level. Help them with their animal. Help them with their rent. Help them with whatever they're practically struggling with. Does that make sense? And then finally, where's my watch? Oh, it broke. Uh, finally, finally, finally. Oh, my dog, my new puppy ripped the watch thing off. So now my kids have to fix my watch. That's. <laughs> Lastly, here's where we'll end. This is from Exodus 23. For six years, what's uh, verses 10 to 12? For six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops, but during the seventh year let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then, look, look, look. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyards and your olive grove. So you are to give the land a Sabbath rest in the seventh year. It's not just for the land. It's not just environmental justice, although that is it, right? You're caring for the land so that it replenishes. It's also for the animals to come, but it's also for the poor among you. The poor can come and graze. Uh, commentator David Guzik says this, the Sabbath year was to give the poor something to eat in that they were allowed to harvest and process that which grew unplanted from the fallow ground. This was a way to help the poor that demanded both that the landowners hold themselves back from maximum profit and that the poor work to help, for, to, to help themselves. So, so the Sabbath year was not just about trusting God with your land. It was about justice to the poor. Does that make sense? And then here's one more. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, so the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. So it's not just, this is a Sabbath day. This is not just about you getting rest and being refreshed. This is not just about you trusting God, although that's in included in the Sabbath, but it's also about justice. It's also about those under your influence and your care taking a break, animals getting a break. The servants taking a break, the foreigners who have come in and have uh, sold themselves as indentured servants or, 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 or are working for you, they get a break. You don't overwork them. You don't overuse them. It's about justice. We're to be a people of justice. Employers are still to be different than employers with the rest of the world. Business owners should be different, right? You shouldn't have this um, reputation of being this hard taskmaster that's hard to work for. Christians should be different. Christian businessmen, businesswomen, employers, should be different, should be different than the rest of the world. So in summary, God was not legislating out all the brokenness of the culture, and he wasn't trying to even out every kind of inequality. But that does not mean he condoned the brokenness of the culture. What he was trying to do was he was trying to call his people to be people of justice within the broken systems and within all the inequalities. He was calling them to shine in a way that showed that they had been freed by a good, just, and perfect God. And he is still doing that for us today. Amen? Now, we're going to prepare to receive communion because here's the deal. Israel failed to obey these commandments big time. Big time. They failed to live as his people big time. They failed to represent him and his kingdom big time. They took advantage of each other. They didn't let the ground rest. They took advantage of the poor. They took advantage of the widows. God brought consequences on them. And so what did, what did he say was the punishment for so many of those commands? It's death. They, they, they deserved not just physical death, but spiritual death, permanent separation from him. That's what they deserved. 
just like you and I fail to act justly often. We fail to act with integrity. We fail to act upright. We fail to act as his children. We fail to act according to the family rules, so to speak. Constantly. Even our self-righteousness causes us to believe that we're the just ones and everybody else who disagrees with us on an issue or a policy are the unjust ones. You need only to look at each other's social media feed to see how just we think we are and how unjust everybody else is, including God himself. Well, if God doesn't have the same kind of consequence or doesn't land in the same place as me, he must be the unjust one. That's how self-righteous we are. And you can add self-righteousness to the list of offenses that we have against, or that we've made against God, that God has on us. We're not just unjust, but we're self-righteous in our unjust actions and attitudes. And so as a result, we deserve death. We deserve physical and spiritual permanent separation from God. These laws should remind us of, oh my goodness, I don't live with integrity. I don't care for the vulnerable groups like I should. That's the bad news. We should feel that bad news so that we understand the good news, which is that God said, okay, then I'm going to come down and I'm going to fulfill your side of the covenant in your place by living that perfect life, a perfect life of justice and righteousness that Jesus lived and then dying the physical death that you deserve on a Roman cross. The cross of Jesus, in other words, is where the perfect justice of God meets the perfect grace of God. They collide together at the cross of Jesus so that God can still be just. He doesn't permit sin. He doesn't tolerate unjust, injustices. He doesn't wink at it and say, well, if you want to take advantage of each other, I'll just, I'll just overlook it and forgive you. No, that has to be paid for. That sin has to be paid for, and Jesus paid for it at the cross. It's where his perfect justice came crashing down on God the Son, absorbed because he loves us so much he wants us in his family. He loves us so much he doesn't want us separated from him. So when we've received communion in a few moments, it should be a reminder to us that not only are we called to be a people of justice, but that we have perpetrated injustices and God the Son took on our penalty, paid for us so that we can be declared righteous, so that we can receive mercy, so that we can be declared not guilty, beloved sons and daughters of the King of the universe. We don't go out there trying to do good, work for causes in order to please God and go, are you happy with me now? No, we get to do it because we've been shown such mercy. We get to do it from a place of gratitude and joy as people who have been guilty and yet have been showed such mercy by our loving, good God who clearly said, so much of this deserves death and yet, and yet I took that death for you in your place. Amen? So um, the band is going to come on up here. What we're going to do, does everybody have the communion elements? If you don't, just put your hand up and the ushers will make sure you get it. They'll put it in your hand. Um, but the band is going to sing a song over us. We're not going to stand and sing just yet. They're just going to sing a song over us. We're going to reflect on the cross of Jesus and what it means for God to have paid for us, come after us, poured out his grace on us. And if the Holy Spirit brings to mind areas of of, of your life where you have lacked justice and mercy, where you have not cared the way you should have cared for vulnerable groups, where you have acted with dishonesty, a lack of integrity, all you need to do is say, I'm sorry, Lord. Confess this. Can you forgive me? 
And he, he's faithful and just to forgive you. That's what communion is, is symbolic of. It's reminding us of. His blood covers that. His body was given to pay for that. So keep your hand up if you haven't received those elements. The, band, the ushers will put them in your hand. And then we'll receive it together after this song.
the cracker, you could take out the elements. You could take the cracker and the juice. Cracker represents Jesus' body given on the cross, and the juice represents his blood was spilled, poured out, so that he could redeem from every nation, tribe, and tongue, every kind of background, every religious background, every hurt, every pain, every form of sin, so that he could redeem for himself a new humanity, a new people, a new family. Cleansed and forgiven and declared righteous despite what we've been guilty of. Did God highlight for anybody here anything that you needed to confess to him? Just by a show of hands, any areas where I, you know, I, I, I failed, I could, be, I could have more integrity, I could have more honesty, I could have more justice, I could care more about vulnerable groups. Okay, yeah, he forgives you. This is, this is proof that you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. You've been declared, okay, you've been forgiven. This is proof, this is a reminder. But it's also a call, it's a comfort and a call. It's a comfort for being forgiven, it's a call. Now go, go, go live differently. By the power of my spirit in you, go live differently. In this case, what we talked about today, go be a people of justice. And I wanna challenge you, and we're gonna sing one more song after we receive communion. Ask God to show you, highlight for you, what, what's one of the vulnerable groups that you can do more for, care more about? The poor, the unborn, the widows, single moms, orphans, those in foster care systems, foreigners, and your enemy. <laughs> and your enemy. Here's another thing that this reminds us of. We are one united people. So don't care about the justice issues that your favorite political party cares about. Care about what Jesus cares about. Care about what God cares about. Well, let's receive this together. Jesus, as we remember your sacrifice through communion, we ask that you fill us by the power of your spirit to be your witnesses in the world, to be your witnesses, to represent you by word and by deed, with our mouths and with our actions. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing one more song together before we leave the farm as a united family. This song is called Living Hope. We're going to declare, we're going to praise God for the hope we have in Jesus.